Hello, everybody. Um, welcome to Voxology Podcast. We're delighted that you're with us today. And uh, my name is Mike, of course, our friend Timothy John Stafford, um, the co-host with the Comost, is here as well. And uh, today, ladies and gentlemen, making her Voxology debut is someone who is an elder uh, at the church I serve at. She's the director of staff. She is an incredible friend. She's in the middle of getting a degree from Fuller Seminary. She is Persian. She has, she is known uh, to, to the staff as Susie Lind, but to Seth, and I'm not sure where this came from, he, uh, he refers to her exclusively as Susie P. Lind and has used that name to, um, to call every other woman in his life <laughs> Not their real name, but instead Susie Peelin. So Susie Peelin, welcome. Oh. We're glad that you're here. Um, Thank you. Yes. Susie, Thank you for tell having us. Me. Absolutely. And would you mind just giving 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 us a brief uh, synopsis of the the names? So there's the there's Susie Lynn name, which is awesome. And then there's like, you know, the other one. The words oh of power. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So what's that? So what was What are you what, talking about? Like my actual names? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. So Susie Pilin, but then what's what's the Iranian so name? I, when I was born, I was given the name Zara. Yes. Or Zahra, as it's Ooh. pronounced correctly. Yes. Um my mother wanted to name me Julie, mm. but my dad wanted to or Jana, which is a combination of their names, JV and Diana. But my dad wanted me to have a traditional Persian name. So they went with Zara. But then like, I don't know, it within hours or or days of my birth, my grandmother held me and sang the song Wake Up Little Susie to me. Oh. And they started calling me Susie pretty much right from the get go. Yeah. No one has ever called me Zara. Except for when they find out that that's my name, yeah. then they they're on a kick and they call me that for a while, and then I well, just and, become Susie. <laughs> and and in the same way that Bruce Banner and the Incredible Hulk kind of have you know two different names. I mean, there is a, there is a time and a mood where Zara does seem more fitting than Susie. Would you mm. agree? I've been told yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's been observed. <laughs> So, so what was your full Persian name? So I didn't, I was not born with a, I wasn't given a middle name, right. but my last name was a hyphenated last name. So it was Zara Salar Bazadi. So every like first day of school, they would call out my name and I'd have to correct them. And because it was so long, it took me till second grade to be able to spell it. Oh yeah. So I had to um, just correct everybody. And I went by Susie Bazadi. Yeah. Which was another name that people love to use first and last. It was fun to say, I think. Yeah. And then when I got um when I when I got married, I did a whole name change. And oh. I went Susie Z Bazadi Lind. Nice. So I I yeah. Which it was a lot easier to change your name then. So then it should be. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I should have. When I was when I was I think six, I wanted my name to be Ace Patrick. I'm not sure why. <laughs> I liked Ace from the Kiss drummer. Yeah. Um, Ace Freely. And I don't know, I 
Patrick, I thought was a cool name. So Ace Patrick was the name I wanted. Um, glad I didn't choose that in hindsight, but that's um, funny. Yeah. I tried to take my wife's maiden name for obvious reasons. What was her maiden name? Vetter. Yeah. Oh yeah. See, that's that's yeah. <laughs> Tim Vetter. Dude, Timothy Vetter. Yes. Wanted did, to be a musician. I was like, this is a no brainer. Did she keep? <laughs> did she keep it as a middle name or anything? Nope. Just cut the oh, ties. Man. Wow. Here we are today. so Susie, tell us just a little bit um born and raised where and then how in the world did you find yourself working for churches um i was born in iran i left when i was four um at the beginning of the iranian revolution because i lived right in the middle of tehran when it was where it was all happening Mm. i had grandparents my mom's parents lived in london at the time and so my dad sent my mom and i to london just because it was for safety reasons. We were planning to be there for two weeks and we never went back. My dad ended up leaving on the last plane before the Ayatollah shut the country down. Wow. So then we lived in London for two years. Um, And then during those two years, my mom um, was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. My aunt, her sister, lived in California, and at the time, the U.S. had better care for people with multiple sclerosis, so we opted to move there. Mm. And uh, so we moved to California. I grew up in California, lived there my whole life until I moved here to Tennessee seven years ago. Wow. So I didn't, I grew up identifying as a Muslim, but I went to Christian schools when I was young. My mom went to an American missionary school in Iran. She taught there. That's where I went to preschool. So I was, I identified as a Muslim, but I never was um, discipled as a Muslim. So the only thing I was ever taught about was Jesus. So I always knew who Jesus was and believed who Jesus was. And then when I got to high school or right before high school, I um, went through a very awful, lonely time as you do in those years. Mm -hmm. And I started going to church with my friend. Um, I, I was looking for I was looking for God, for a relationship with God. I tried I tried a, a mosque by myself, which was a mm. bad idea <laughs> for mm. me. <laughs> um, and then my friend was involved with her church and her family. So I went there and I loved it. They had a really fun youth group. They had cute boys. They had That's what I'm talking um, about. all the things. They had leaders that were really intentional and, and cared about us and cared about our lives. So I started going and... Um, I got invited to join a discipleship group, which I didn't know what it was, but I said, sure, that sounds fun. We went to Jack in the Box after church on Sundays, and um, I was asked about my relationship with Jesus. And when I, when I became a Christian and I said, why I'm not really a Christian, I'm, I'm a Muslim and the leader, sweet girl, uh, Biola student asked me, well, you know, she asked me all the questions about what I believe about Jesus. And I, I answered all the right things. And she said, well, well, that makes you a Christian. And she kind of explained to me what faith was. And so anyway, for good measure, she had me pray the prayer. Mm. So I did that and started my journey there. I went to Azusa Pacific for college, planned on being a career corporate executive, all those <laughs> things. <laughs> then I had a baby and wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, but couldn't afford it. So I um And this was and this was um before you met anybody. Before I met anybody? Yeah. What do you mean? Oh, are you so, talking about my husband? 
you want me to introduce my husband, my sweet yes, husband, yes. who you love. I do. I do. Um, <laughs> no where you would go I, with that. I met my, I'm like, yeah, I met my husband Well, it sounded like you just, you, it, it sounded like you were just, yeah, I was just roaming around by myself I was and then I had a baby. Around. Yeah, no, I did meet my husband in college. Boom. We were great friends for a couple years and then we started dating and we got married. His name is Steve. Sweet He's Steve. awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he has great hair. So Steve and I had a baby together after okay. we got married. I just wanted that clarified. That That's, all. <laughs> That's all. Yeah. I don't know what kind of what kind of show you're used to, Susie P. Lynn, but I just was making sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anyway, go ahead. Yes. I'm sorry to interrupt. So I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, but it was expensive in California to do that. So I raised my hand at church during this thing that we did called haves and needs. Mm. And I said, I need a job that I could do from home so I could stay with my baby. And the pastor of the church hired me for about 10 hours a week to um, just be his assistant and Mm. help him organize meetings and life. And then he and I hit it off really well. We had a really great working relationship and um, long story short, I ended up going full-time eventually, and then I, um, they had a women's pastor that left, and uh, he didn't want to hire another women's pastor because that's when they started going the complementarian route. Mm. And, you know, in order to protect him um, and to make people happy, I said that I would be the person that they could contact, all the women could contact, because they were all really upset. Mm. So then eventually that turned into becoming the women's pastor. And then it was just a slippery slope from there. <laughs> so I accidentally so true. So true. got into vocational min- church ministry right. in right. 2002. <laughs> Boom. And here we are years yeah. later, elder, preacher, director, all the things, yeah. all the things. Um, so today, uh, we wanted to have Susiana been looking for a, a reason, um, but she'd been texting me um, <laughs> a thread about uh, just lament about all that's happened this week. This week, uh, we've had the shooting in Texas, mm-hmm. and we had this massive report come out about the SBC and the cover-up, and just all of this sexual abuse. And Susie was just texting um, really wise words about lament, and I thought, you know, we just need to sit for a second, because each of us individually, as disciples of Jesus, and, and, and as parents, have just been horrified by the whole thing that's gone on this week. So, um, what what I want to do is first of all give a couple of disclaimers, and then I want to talk about gun violence, and then I want to talk about sexual abuse. So the disclaimers are these. Um, I realize these are incredibly complex topics that uh, do not represent my or our expertise in any way, shape, or form. Um, I also represent there is a, a divergence, uh, at least around the gun issue. Um, I think we all can agree sexual abuse is horrific, but around the gun issue, there's a divergence. Even on our our Facebook pages, we've been seeing um, uh, some really healthy and good conversation around this. So we recognize in our audience, and certainly, I mean, obviously in the population, there's a great deal of divergence about 
these sorts of issues. And so um, we would just love grace. Uh, we've all been kind of emotional this week about these uh, things. Um, Timothy didn't sleep last night, according to his own testimony. And um, so we want to talk just a little bit about what's going, just simply what's going on. And then how do we sit in the middle of all of this? Sound good, Timothy? Yes, sir. <laughs> Did you sleep at all? Yeah. I mean, it was it was a combination of anxiety, but it's also hot. And mm. my dog wouldn't sit still either in his crate at the foot of my bed. So we had a wrestling match. Oh. Verbally. Right. <laughs> Sounds like a great a great way to spend some time. Yeah. Um, by there are better ways. Yeah, we were so we're recording this on a Friday of the week where the Texas shooting happened, um, and the things that we refer to could change in the next. I mean, we're we're literally right before we hit record. There was a, a press conference going on, and so some of what we you know when this comes out. The information may have changed or it might be updated or whatever. But um, I just want to sort of set before us some, at least the the stories that that I'm reading. Um, (coughs) Excuse me. So on the uh, 14th of May uh, in Buffalo, there were 10 killed and three wounded. 11 were black and two were white. And for two minutes, at least, this rampage in a grocery store, it was rampage. Uh, this rampage was streamed on Twitch, uh, the streaming platform. That same, I think the same day or the next morning, in Laguna Woods, where uh, close to where I used to live, there was uh, one person killed and five others injured during a church service um, at a Taiwanese church. Um, on the 13th of May, um, there was a shooting in Milwaukee where 17 are wounded. And then on the 24th, the next week, um, 10 days after Buffalo, as we know now, there was a shooting at a Texas elementary school, 19 kids, two adults, and 17 wounded. And we're learning horrifically about um, uh, the police response as 19 police officers stood outside classroom doors and um, because of either some misunderstanding or something, did not, we're not given permission to go in. And we're also hearing accounts from other people um, who talk about parents trying desperately to get into the school if the police weren't going to do that. One guy was um, saying that he was looking for a vest um, and a gun and was willing to go in. Another woman evidently got tased and handcuffed. Um, and I don't know about you guys. I think, um, I mean, if I imagine Seth Erie, uh, in a sixth grade classroom, um, and, and watching just police sort of stand there, I I think they'd have to shoot me, Uh um, quite honestly, because we all have, we all have kids. I mean, Nathan, right? Nate, how old's Nathan Seuss? Nathan is in fourth grade. So, I mean, that day, I mean, that day I went and spent two hours at his school at a fourth grade celebration, Mm. which is exactly what those parents did for their fourth graders that day. And, you know, I mean, I didn't find out about it until around five 30 that night, but it was like, it Mm. just was so it's been so, I mean, I think 
it, it would be heavy anyway, but it was so heavy and hit so close to home because of just picturing my own child and his classmates and that environment that I was in very similarly to those parents that day. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, I just came home and I, like that night I slept in his bed with him just so I could listen to him breathe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And Tim, you had a, you had a, a conversation with your kids. How old's yeah. Elliot? Elliot is also 10 and in fourth grade. And you had to have um, conversations about uh, about this, right, with your kids, just sort of. Yeah, I think most parents across the country were doing the same thing. You know, we were. Did you bring it up to her, Tim, or did she know about it before I, you? Did? I told both my kids. Uh, I think we told them. Um, if my memory serves me correctly, I think we told them, and then kind of said, "Hey, this is what you know. This is what you do in this situation." And then you're having that conversation that you walk away from. You're like, I can't believe I just had this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> My daughter well, yeah, is And it's six. like, there's so much fear about provoking fear in them. Yes. Right. Yep. Yeah. They're, right. Where they're being forced to wrestle with things that they should not have mm-hmm. to be thinking about. No. But here Axios we are. just um, had a report that guns have become the top injury related cause of death for U.S. kids. Yeah. Yeah. And that's suicide. That's homicide but uh over cars anymore so and this is where like no matter what side of this issue you're on like you cannot deny this statistic like there is a problem right <laughs> yeah i mean it uh, another one that was in that report the number of active shooter incidents in the u.s has risen by 52 percent from 2020 to 2021 and over four years, from 2017 to 2021, there was a 96.8% increase, according to the FBI. So not only is this become normal, this whole process of reaction, outrage, confusion, and then nothing, but it's getting worse. Um, and so, as you would predict, there are all sorts. I mean, I, I love that the Senate just recessed for Memorial <laughs> Day break. Like, oh, sorry, uh, we have this holiday planned. Just hate that. But then we have all of these interesting, the, the, the folks that are very supportive of the maximum um, liberty as applied to the Second Amendment. So Senator Ron Johnson has blamed um, CRT and wokeness. Kevin McCarthy... Uh, said we need to decrease the number of entrances into schools. I'm sorry, Arizona. can I ask a clarifying question? Yeah. <laughs> Did he specify why it has to do with CRT and wokeness? Because the teachers are teaching that. That was the clip I saw. Hmm. Okay. Um, uh, Arizona State Senator, it looks like Rick Gray, blamed it on atheism and teaching evolution. Um <laughs> Um, I've, I've heard several people argue that the answer is to fortify schools, uh, to make the harden them is their words, which is fascinating because these are the same people worried about the mental health effects of masks, uh, on our kids. And yet, you know, that same concern doesn't seem to pervade the idea that kids have to walk into fortresses with armed guards and teachers uh, in order to be safe yeah, and practice hiding under desks and and also we don't trust the teachers and the librarians to p- 
pick good books and curriculum, but we're fine with them carrying guns and protecting our kids with guns. Yeah, totally. Which is my wife. My wife is a high school English teacher. She's the head of the department, so she is also the one that wrestles with picking those books. And mm. me imagining her in a crisis situation pulling out a gun. Oh, is, no. What I mean, no. to, to the audacity to ask yeah. teachers to do that, to have that on their conscience if they make a mistake, if they miss, if they themselves are shot. I mean, it is. Also, they don't get paid enough. <laughs> yeah, anyway. <laughs> they do not get paid enough for anyway. this. Anyway. Amen. So oh, my I, gosh. I just am like, well, I don't know. Just fortifying schools, is that really the answer? We have the, the classic, we need to turn to God responses. Mm-hmm. Um, U.S. Representative Lauren Boebert uh, yes. from Colorado. It is in times like these that we should as individuals, communities, and as a nation turn to God for comfort and healing. And I'm great with turning to God. Um, but, um, you know, it's kind of like the thoughts and prayers things. Uh, God, God seems to really be waiting for us to do something about this as image bearers who are in charge of running his good world. So, uh, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, said, our nation needs to take a serious look at the state of mental health, which is true, um, but, but said, we don't need more gun control. We need to Starting return with to her. God. No. <laughs> um, no comment. We don't need more gun control. We need to return to God. So, so there is this impulse that has been, um, that, that is very much true of the God's the God guns and babies crowd um, to just say, this is a God issue. Um, Lauren Bobert even tweeted out, listen, we can't legislate against evil, um, which, which is so interesting because um, we legislate against evil uh, when it comes to abortion right. uh, or we legislate against evil when it comes to illegal immigration or when it comes to uh, drugs um, the fact that I can't get Sudafed, more than two packs of Sudafed, uh, but I can just walk into a store and evidently as an 18-year-old mentally ill person to get an AR-15, I don't know, that just strikes me as a little, little nutty. So, so we've got the let's fortify schools uh, approach, we've got the turn to God approach, which agreed, let's do that. Then we've got the don't politicize this approach. Um, your, your friend, Sean Foyt, Timothy, uh, tweeted out, we need to call on God. We need him back in schools. We need him to heal our country. He's our only hope. And he says, don't politicize this. Um, All standing in front of the Lincoln Memorial. Yeah. <laughs> right. Interesting. But, but it's okay to politicize um, abortion, which is just fascinating. It, it's, again, if you're on that side of the debate, it's just someone explained to me the inconsistency of the arguments. That's the thing that's so dramatic. We can't legislate evil when it comes to guns, but we can legislate evil when it comes to um, women's bodies and the issue of abortion. Hypothetical right? evils. Right, right. Um, <laughs> Legislating immigration that all immigrants are going to be gang members and murderers and then, you know, that all things that have to do with women's health are all going to be abortion. Yeah. And those are all like, are not the are not the roots of those things, but AR-15s are largely created for one purpose. Yeah. 
Well, yes. So, so that it, it just blows. I don't understand it. I'd love someone to educate me on how these positions are held because they seem, on the face of it, so unbelievably contradictory. I'll tweet uh, uh, Floyd um, again to see if he'll come on. Yeah, that'd be great. You've um, tweeted him to see if he'd come on. Yeah. Oh respond. yes, we would love it. Oh. Um, regarding vaccine vaccines no one can tell me what to do with my body and yet mm -hmm. i all for telling women what they can do with their bodies um you pointed out one that's great we cannot trust teachers pushing their agenda and crt on the kids but we can trust them to um carry a gun and discern who to shoot um <laughs> uh this is also the same crowd that has said hey we don't wear masks because you know god is my vaccine uh, and we live in faith, not fear. And um, and yet, when it comes to guns, well, they're, it's totally fine. We don't want to live in faith, not fear there. We're going to have guns um, and not trust God for that. I mean, it's just... But it's not at mind. the NRA convention when Trump is speaking. You can't bring guns into that. Right. Because yeah, that's starting somebody today. Somebody might harm them. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's yeah. starting today. That's an interesting thing because it's starting... a few hours away from where Four the shooting away, was yeah. in, in Houston. So the, the <sighs> Lieutenant Governor of Texas uh, and Evangelical Christian, uh, Dan Patrick said, we got to unify in prayer. We have to unify in faith. This was a country founded on faith. Uh, that's why we together have to come together as a people. Don't politicize it. Don't point fingers. Um, there, there are some who argue that guns are part of our national identity. So there's, there's that argument floating around. Uh, Republican Brian Babin, or representative, I should say, who is a Texas Republican, said, the United States of America has always had guns. It's our history. We were built on the Judeo-Christian foundation and with guns. <laughs> is that really what he said? Yep. These are, wow. these are quotes I'm pulling from news stories. Um, just saying this, these are the kind of arguments or things being said in, in the face of this. Some very articulate gun rights advocates have, have argued, listen, some of the cities and states with the strictest gun laws have the highest rates of violent crime. That was uh, Governor Abbott's point. Um, look at Chicago was what he was trying to do. A, a huge one uh, is that people kill people. Guns don't kill people. Um, which is which is uh, um, true, except when all the guns that are used in mass shootings are of the same type. Um, it's fascinating. And used that by people. And and, <laughs> and used by people. And and like we said before, I mean, the fact that there just isn't the courage to do this after nine eleven. There was one dude who had a bomb in his shoe. And 20 effing years later, I'm still taking my shoes off at the airport. Yeah. Like, we have the collective will to do something. It's just, it's just mind-boggling. It's just mind-boggling. Um, and, then, and then the big one is the only way to deal with bad guys with guns is with good guys with guns, which freaking didn't happen when the cops are restraining people from running in to rescue their own children because the police have been told not to enter. It's not an active shooter situation. So I just, um, the, the good guys with guns versus the bad guys with guns, I just don't think that 
that uh, in light of this, that argument just is shown uh, as a fallacy. Absolutely. So here are a couple of things that I that I read. Uh, this one is from uh, a Republican who writes, I am a moderate. I own guns for self-defense. I dislike the NRA as they don't represent my views. I'm for universal background checks. I'm for an assault weapons ban. Zero reason for any citizen to have one. Uh, and a 21-year-old age requirement to purchase. If you can't drink, you should own a gun. There are a million common sense ideas between doing nothing and banning guns. Right. And I thought, that's, that's it. Yeah. Right? Or, or um, uh, this is uh, Senator Murphy. I don't know his first name. I don't know which shootings we could stop. But what kind of sick political culture endures shooting after shooting and responds with silence? There must be steps we can take. Um, and, and, and so I, I just sit sort of befuddled going, well, what's the reason why, why we wouldn't say if we do background checks to serve in a church's children's ministry, um, that why we wouldn't do robust background checks uh, for firearms. Yes, uh, guns kill people, but guns in the, in the hands of people who are evil, who we could prevent, I mean, that just seems, I don't know, just seems on us. Um, well, I mean, even in the places <clears throat> where abortion is legal and there's a process that you go through before mm -hmm. you actually get the abortion, where you sit down and you talk with a doctor and you you know, you're asked these questions and you go through a process and in some cases there's a cooling off period, you know, all yeah. those things. Like there's yeah. nothing like that for going right. and buying an assault rifle, you know, and this kid, he went and bought it like the two days after he turned 18. So he had, they said, oh, he has no history of mental illness. Well, he has no history of anything. He's only right. 18. Right. So it's. Yeah. So pro-lifers downplay what they ask women to do, both in having to undergo pregnancy, which is obviously a burden I will never have to experience, and then either embarking on the project of a lifetime and raising a child that she didn't choose, or if she opts for adoption, knowing her child is walking around in the world without her. And yet we can't ask people um, who are purchasing guns, depending on the state, to go through um, background checks or a two-week waiting period or whatever the policy. And I don't have policy solutions. I'm just, I'm puzzled at the rationale for not doing something. Right. I mean, it seems as Jesus people, the fundamental posture as Jesus people is that rights are always trumped by life. Always. I will yield my rights for the sake of others. That seems to be the, like, that is the Christian, like it's what it means to be Christian, is that Jesus did not take advantage of his rights, but instead humbled himself, became nothing, to, and, and then suffered on the cross. It just seems like, and we're, and we're totally in the, in the abortion issue saying, yeah, life is more important than, than choice and rights, but why not here? And maybe they are saying it, and I'm not able, you know, I'm not hearing it. Uh, I just, as I'm, you know, just kind of floating around the major news sites, I'm um, both conservative and progressive. These are the things that are being said. It just absolutely drives me, absolutely drives me insane. I just don't understand it. 
Um, and so what do you think, the two of you, what do you think, what are lessons we should take away from yet another shooting? What, what do Christians, how do Christians position themselves in issues like these um, in order to be a, a, a counter narrative to the, the violence and insanity of our world? Well, I don't know what the answer is yet. <clears throat> One of the conversations we've been having on the Vox, uh, our private community group has just been kind of like, we're in a time of grief right now. And then, but things have to change. And I'm not sure what that looks like. You, you'll see so many people talk about after Sandy Hook, which you would think would have been the last mm -hmm. event. Like little children, that was it. Mm -hmm. We've got a problem. We'll fix this. You know, Australia had their one bad gun incident in like the mid '90s or something, and just did sweeping gun uh, laws after that. Have had nothing since then. You right. think that that would have been it? Instead, what we have is you know drills. This is what you do. You get on the floor. You turn your desk into a shield. Yeah. Blah blah blah. You have women saying, "Hey, you don't want us to have abortions, but you won't feed or take care of my child afterwards." What is the what is what is the pro-life aspect of this? What is the mm -hmm. pro-life posture? Because it looks like it's exactly what it says. It's about regulations. It's about power. It's about controlling other people. I don't know how to fix this. I would love to to give an answer to that, but it it does seem to be that this is only about money. This um, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. My question, if if my question felt like, what do we do to fix this? Well, I don't do have we, a clue. It's right. more, how do we inhabit this space? I know, but I think as Jesus that, people, I think that part of inhabiting the space is that we have to be involved in the process more because this is not. I don't want to be the. I don't want to be part of the tribe of thoughts and prayers. Right. I don't, I don't think that does anything, personally. Yeah. So there's going to have to be ways in which we get involved in our neighborhoods and our communities. And like today on the way to school, I just had a conversation with my kids. They they don't go to church. My family doesn't go to church for various reasons we've talked what? about. Not purposefully. We're just not a, we're not a part of a church body. The pandemic screwed a lot of that up. Um, so you know they're young. We're driving to school today, and I we had a conversation about what it means to love your neighbor and why that was what Jesus kind of said. Hey, well, let me sum these things up for you. This is what this means. So I'm explaining to a 10, 6 year old. This is what it means to love your neighbor. My son said. Uh, he's like, I see, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. And he's like, well, what if you don't love yourself? And I said, well, that's part of this communal conversation is how we, if you're feeling that way, that your community can help edify and speak into and, and kind of create a culture in which you love yourself. And then that's part of understanding, my understanding of that commandment is that there is a, there is an impetus in there for yourself and then how we cohabitate with other people. Um, mm -hmm. Yelling and screaming and being the anti Sean Foyt or the anti Greg Locke or the anti Lauren Bobert or any of these people does nothing. <laughs> so I want to figure out how to be productively involved, productively postured. Uh, right. I, and I don't know what that means yet. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, I think thoughts and prayers literally not the sentiment but I, those are important <laughs> those yeah. are important but i just keep going back to the sermon on the mount and the way jesus invited us to pray and taught teaches us to pray is not a passive it's not a passive thing that we do i mean when you're praying and asking god to give you the ability to forgive 
and to um, to ask for forgiveness. And when you're when you're asking God to um, bring His kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, there's a partnership that He's invited us into, and so there's there's movement there. Right. It's not just sitting quietly you know all the time it is sometimes but not all the time like there comes a point where where we do do something right. and you know and every everybody has something to do we can't all do the same thing we can't all care about um yeah the same things deeply we're not meant to we can't we're not we're so limited and finite in our humanity to be able to you know hold the space for all i mean i mean we're talking about on this episode we're talking about a week's worth of news that's yeah. hitting us all very deeply just one week's worth of news and yeah. it's so heavy and so intense i just don't think we were meant to carry and care for all those things and so it really does show our need for god and it, it requires an all hands on deck like some people need to call senators and some people need to protest and some people need to bring meals and some people need to pray and some you know all the things that are important but it's not a passive response and the the thoughts and prayers crowd that you um alluded to tim I'm afraid represent and are bearing witness to a lazy and false God who doesn't care. Hmm. That's well and said, that's, Suze. that's not, that's not who we follow. That's Come not on. Jesus of Nazareth. And so that's the part that's so frustrating to me is hmm. how many people have, you know, turned away from their faith and from the people of God, the community that you were describing so beautifully to your children in the car today mm -hmm. because of what has been represented. Yeah. 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 Boy, well said. Um, hold on one second, guys. Seth Erie has entered the house. Hey, Seth Erie. You want to say hi? Come on, boy. Ladies and gentlemen. Seth was up quietly. What were you eating today, son? About Journey yeah. Church. About Journey Church? Yeah. What, but what did you eat for lunch? Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. There Chick -A. it is, ladies. So, yep, come on. Let, come here so people can hear you. Oh, yeah. Susie <laughs> <laughs> P. There it is. Susie P. Lynn. How great is this? We have Tim Stafford. Yep. And Susie Peelin, when worlds collide. Yeah, world collide with us. Okay, well, come here. Do you want to say anything to everybody? <laughs> yeah. What do you want to say? Big shout-outs. Okay, let's do some big shout-outs. Mr. Evans. Mr. Evans, Nate, teacher in Ohio. Tim, Tim, Susie Nate Erie, Erie, Tim Stafford, and Susie Peelin. Yeah. Great. Those are great shout-outs. And Daddy Mike. And Daddy Mike, yeah. yes. That's right. Now, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Do you have school today? No. Why not? Because it's a vacation! It's on vacation, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. It's summer! We made it! We made it! <laughs> Let the record show that Seth Eury is jumping on me right now. Chanting, we made it, okay. That's so good. All right, all right, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, that's good. I think we're all done. Okay, stop jumping. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so anyway, we're pumped over in the Eury yeah. household. <laughs>
<laughs> so, so when I think about you know issues like um, school shootings, I have a very specific face, as do you. Yeah. And so it's not an abstract issue for me, not at all. I live I live five minutes from his oh, here goes. elementary school. Oh, here goes. Oh, what are we doing? Drum roll, please. Seventy-seven, Seth. <laughs> I'm on it. Yeah, you are on it, buddy. Yep. All right, good job. We're going to keep going, okay? What? Always give me a sad face. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so there's a lot more to say, uh, Avi. But as Susie was saying, um, all of this happened after what we thought this episode was going to be about, <laughs> which was um the the massive amount of like sexual abuse stuff that's coming out uh let the record show that seth theory is shaking his booty and um this is why we don't do video podcasts right here so i i want to just sort of set a similar stage uh, this is these are all things that happened this week uh first of all in uh, Warsaw, Indiana, New Life Christian Church and World Outreach, I, I woke up and was horrified to see a transcript of a video where a pastor got up, led an altar call, and then confessed to adultery that had happened 20 years ago. And then uh, the church applauded because the, the pastor's confession seemed you know, legit and authentic and whatever else. The church applauded. And then a woman came on stage who evidently was the, the one with whom he had the affair. Um, and she corrected him and said, well, it started 27 years ago, and I was 16 when it started. And she said is something that will, I mean, that I, I had to turn the video off I, at that point. She just said, you did things to my teenage body that had never and should never have been done. And it was, it was like, oh. Uh, Oh my lord! And, and evidently there was someone trying to quiet her down. I mean, it's just and you're like, what, what? And 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 he he portrayed it as some sort of consensual thing without any admission of abuse of power or the dynamics in play. I mean, no, my. he he said, I told you I committed adultery. He yeah. kept wanting to call it adultery. Oh, and and yeah, I, sixteen, my daughter seventeen. Um, I just, I, I just, my jaw, of course, hit the, hit the floor. And of course, this was a church immersed in purity culture. Evidently she had a purity ring on while this was happening. That was one. Number two, Josh Duggar of 19 Kids Accounting, a show, um, that was inflicted upon me, um, years ago, um, sentenced to 12 years for child pornography and then 20 years living as a sex offender up under supervision without access to the internet unless it was monitored. Uh, he had images of, of children as young as 12 being sexually abused on his computer. And this was after he was accused of molesting four sisters and a babysitter. And that show back in the day was massive in the Christian sort of uh, purity homeschool crowd. Uh, and then, um, the, the, as if that weren't enough, the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, had finally uh, agreed to spend some money to put together a third-party investigation of, of claims. And 
that that report uh, was released um, armed with a secret list of more than 700, 700 abusive pastors. Southern Baptist leaders chose to protect the denomination from lawsuits rather than protect people in their churches from further abuse. Uh, and they insisted they did not have, um, along the way, a list, a database such as this, but it turned out they had. Um, the executive committee, and, and I'm just quoting from news stories. I mean, literally, that's all I'm doing. The executive committee habitually ignored survivors, washed its hands of all responsibility by claiming it had no authority over member churches, even as it disfellowshipped member churches, often for hiring female pastors or becoming open and affirming to LGBTQ people. The rationale for not addressing pastoral abuse is that it would detract from evangelism. <sighs> I mean, so that's one week. That's one week. One week. The, um, and the specifics, I mean, I could hardly make it through uh, the report. The SBC resisted this. They're ex I guess they're run by this executive committee, and this executive committee resisted this the whole way through, and, and at a last-minute vote tried to oversee the process themselves. It is um, utterly, utterly, utterly ridiculous. Susie, as a woman in the church, I mean, what, what's, the, what's it like to see all of this? It's disgusting. First, I mean, when, you're, when you use the word ridiculous, in my mind, it's just disgusting. It's sickening. I... Um, I watched part of the response the day after the um, the report came out. There was a committee response and they live streamed it and I watched part of it. And um, I, I'm sure there, I'm sure, I think it's probably, I don't know enough about it, but I'm sure it's a bunch of new people on the executive committee, I not any that, of the people that yes. were named in I the believe, report. Yes, I believe that is true. But I think, you know, it was just really, it's maddening because when you are, um, I'm going on like over 20 years, something like that, of being in, in church ministry where I've sat with women who have been abused, who have been taken advantage of in all different kinds of ways and not believed or dismissed or whatever. And when you see something like this and, and when you think about the SBC and their influence, not just within their own tribe, but they are the most influential denomination in the country. And so whether you're an SBC person or not, you've its tentacles have reached you in your wherever whatever tradition you're part of. So I, I think the only response after that is is lament. You know, I wish I wanted them to say like just nothing else other than we screwed up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, we 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 sinned. We sinned against God and we sinned against people. And there's like we didn't believe people. I mean, you have scores of people who have come forward. I mean, the, the report opens up with for the past two decades, people have been coming forward. 
We didn't believe people. We lied about things. We hid things. We um, we dismissed people. We gaslighted them. We caused further trauma. Mm. Not only did we not protect people, but even the people that we, I mean, if you want to spiritualize it, even the people we thought we were protecting, we didn't protect. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's so, yeah. it's just yeah. like, and they have their, convention coming up in june it's like there should be like a call to repentance and seeking the lord and and then talk and then thank your churches and then thank the people who did the hard work but you know that's i just want i want nothing other than you know broken acknowledgement of what's happened because it's perpetrated it's perpetrated a culture in mm -hmm. American Christianity mm -hmm. where, you know, women are not believed and it ruins lives. Like, I mean, the, the carnage and the, the, the trail of wreckage in these people's lives is yeah. just, can't even I can't even it. wrap my mind around it. Around it. Do you, um, do you feel like and and i'm just saying at the beginning i this is my opinion i'm wondering as a woman if it is yours mm -hmm. um or if i'm wrong do you feel like because obviously having women in leadership doesn't prevent all things there's a church in canada called the meeting house that's very very mm -hmm. egalitarian um where the a very popular senior pastor admitted to an affair with someone he was counseling uh, Willow Creek was very egalitarian with women in leadership, and, and yet there was all sorts of abuses of power and impropriety. But I, I do think there is a connection between prohibiting women to have voice and leadership and some of the really gruesome details coming out of the churches that believe that. Do you think mm -hmm. having women in leadership would have prevented some of this? Yeah, I think it certainly can, especially... You know, it, that's part of it for sure, for sure. Because, um, you know, you have women who can advocate for other women and can, if they're respected and they're, um, they're given voice. I mean, I, I mean, I have failed in this area as well. I mean, I think about when I when I talk about the influence of this culture, like it, it's become part of our culture. The church I was a part of before, you know, at, at one point I was, I was guilty of this stuff. I mean, I, I remember being in multiple meetings with a woman and her husband where she was being, in hindsight, I can actually name, she was being at the very least emotionally abused and sexually abused. And I was steeped in a culture where, you know, I, I was on the, you have to, forgive and love your husband train. And, um, you know, while yes, he needed to have consequences and things like that, I didn't advocate for her the way she needed to be advocated for, bottom line. <laughs> and it wasn't until the very end of my time there where I realized something is wrong with this and I, I couldn't put my finger on it. I, I didn't have the, the tools or the emotional um intelligence, awareness, whatever, to, to be able to advocate for her and to say exactly what was wrong. And so 
you know, almost eight years later, I, I did go to her and I apologized to her. I sent her a letter and I, and I asked her for her forgiveness because I didn't advocate for her the way I should have, because I was part of a culture and I was taught and shaped a certain way. So even though I was a woman in the room, I didn't have the authority. I didn't uh, have the, that makes sense. Yep. you know, yep. I didn't have what it took to, to meet the need. Mm. And that breaks my heart, you know? Yeah. And I, I mean, there were a couple of situations in that environment that I can go back to and I would do them so differently now. Yeah. So it's, it's not only do you need to have women present and women in the room and active in leadership, but you have to give them authority and you have to trust their instincts and you have to, you have to train people. I mean, part of this report, their resolution was that we need to train people on what to look for and how to handle abuse and how to become trauma informed. That doesn't come naturally to people. Yeah. Like you have to learn those things. Yeah. And I have unfortunately had to learn them all through experience and through some other really smart people outside of the churches that I've been a part of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Tim, what do you think when you read stuff like that? <clears throat> um, <laughs> I'm trying to be very discerning with my this words. This was all one week. This was all one <laughs> week. It's one week this. that this was all exposed, but it's, you know. Yep. Yep. generations of harm and you know generational trauma that's passed down you know in our dna i think that i think that it's just time for a woman to lead period i think the men had a really good run men have been in charge for thousands of years and i feel like this is just kind of the death rattles of the institutions that they have built that men have built um, and I don't just mean the church. I think women should be leading in the government and in business and everything else as well. It's time for fresh. It's time for a change. Um, I I don't know. You guys work for a church. I do not. Um, I don't know how the church comes back from a lot of this stuff. And with the way the American news cycle works and the way that our American minds work, we will be talking about Will Smith's slap and Johnny Depp's like absurd trial for probably months longer than we'll be talking about the SBC stuff. Right. And the and the disparity of the weight between those things is astronomical, like literally. I just don't know that we can, it just feels like, I remember uh, Brene, uh, Brene Brown talking about like the, the end of kind of the white male power over, like power over other people and that when you know th that this is kind of the death rattles of that and that when people are cornered and caged they get really violent and mm -hmm. active and that's kind of what we're seeing in stuff i just i don't know but i'm i'm worried that we'll perpetuate it cuz our attention spans are so short yeah oh yeah i'm with you Suze. i mean i was raised and then educated and then my experience was all in churches that did not uh, that allowed women to be in leadership but did not give them authority so authority was always had by the man or the men in the room but women were given responsibility um or they were called directors as opposed to pastors or you know all sorts of ways around some of that and um 
yeah, I can see, I can see it much more clearly now. But I, I cannot imagine being a, a woman mm-hmm. in the church and not just having all of that to deal with. Um, but then you're seeing all of this abuse. Um, I, I mean, I'm just, I, I just don't even know. When when people like Matt Chandler say, "Hey, deconstruction, you know, is sexy," I just I want to tell him to f off, you know, because um, no, how could you not look at this? And at what point, when you there are enough bad apples, do you look at the whole orchard and just say the whole orchard is rotten? You know what I mean? I mean, it's not like this is yeah. just these are exceptions anymore it seems like it's it's more the norm and i think it's interesting like you know how i like a good um agricultural reference mike zara does but (laughs) absolutely like when you talk about the whole orchard right you know i think when you start saying things like that people get a little alarmed like what are you saying what are you saying like just get get rid of christianity and it's like no i mean i just this morning cleaned out a garden bed where everything was was dead and there was no productive growth. There was too much, um, too many dead herbs <laughs> to grow more productively. Mm. So I had to clean it out and put new dirt in and plant something new. So I still have a garden. Yeah. It's not that we're saying abolish the church, abolish Christianity, but there does need to be, there's a reckoning and there, what, what it, has been and the way that it has been shaped there's there's some serious um change that needs to happen in how we go about these things i do think you know tim you mentioned the the johnny depp trial i do think it's really interesting i don't know why that's all over the news i mean it's literally in every feed (laughs) that i have but it is interesting how people don't believe her right and she's kind of, um, there's a lot of talk about how it's challenging the Me Too movement because people don't believe her. And, you know, they're, most people are apparently on Johnny Depp's side and also acknowledging that Johnny Depp is not perfect. He's unhealthy. He's done some bad things. Right. And so, you know, like when you look at this, SBC report and you and you see how they try to accuse women of being opportunistic or um, power hungry, you know, being used by the devil, a distraction, all those things. It's just interesting because we we know that we know that people are falsely accused, but they didn't even do the due diligence like they didn't even they didn't take the time to listen. You know, the whole world is listening to Amber yeah. Heard. <laughs> well, it seems too like the SBC stuff, it seems like the they collected that information so that they could keep it quiet. Like not the not this last investigation, but the fact that they had all of that information, it's like holding that information so that you can protect you know, cuz you just you hear it. It's what's it's 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 for the sake of the gospel. It's for the sake of the gospel. We can you know what's more important these women's feelings or these women's whatever or is it that the gospel is impeded by these men's decision making processes or whatever and it's like 
that's that's the that's the that's the operating mode right and if hell is at stake dog on it we can put up with anything just to get the message yeah. out and then there's hell on yeah, Earth we can and what that we all can... looks like in, in all these conversations yeah let I, people live through hell on earth so yeah. that we can <laughs> yes yeah yeah save them from eternal hell yeah so i want to go back to something that susie was talking on because i think this is i think this is super important um, I think no one can, um, <coughs> nothing can inhibit the kingdom of God. But we're foolish if we don't think, if we're talking about agriculture metaphors, if we think that Jesus doesn't prune the branches that don't bear fruit and throw them into the fire, which is an image he uses. And so my personal opinion, and I don't know if this is right or wrong, but my personal opinion is we don't have to burn it down to the ground. Jesus will do that for us. There is no way that Jesus of Nazareth, who talked about causing little ones to stumble and those that do it, should be had a stone attached to their neck and thrown into the river. There's no way Jesus of Nazareth, who invited every marginalized woman he could find into his circle to bless them, heal them, receive them, restore them to community. There's no way that Jesus of Nazareth is sitting up there passively just going, hey guys, you know, just work on this a little bit. I think Jesus is actively um, and passionately and zealously exposing the sin in his church. And um, <clears throat> and so I, you know, for people who are concerned about what this means, well, I think I think he should down, I think we should burn down Christianity. Absolutely. At least the forms of it that have become culturally dominant and that that have captured the uh, you know, imagination of, uh, of culture. I mean, when you guys, would you guys agree with that? Let me ask you, would you agree with that? I think things need to change. <coughs> you know, Caitlin Shess uh, tweeted out a little quote over that I kept thinking about afterwards. She said, when Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Micah condemn those who say peace, peace, when there is no peace, they are talking about people who see abuse and injustice in their community and say, but look at all the good we're doing. Mm. And I just kept thinking about that. And I kept thinking about Shalom and trying to um, understand that in a, in a more all-encompassing way in this time period and what peace looks like when we're praying for peace or looking for peace or trying to affect peace within the church or our communities. Um, because the rhetoric that we get is not that. Yeah. I don't know what restoration and wholeness looks like. So, I mean, with the metaphors of trees, um, <laughs> the way that tree, when a tree is dying in a forest, uh, the other trees strip themselves of the nutrients that they have to help bring that tree back to life or to nurture it until it can come and grow fully. If we are a ecosystem of shared roots in this country uh, as churches, um, I'm curious as to how what that what that meta, how that metaphor plays out for us. How we um, strip ourselves of the nutrients that we have to help try to build, to help something thrive that has not seen sunlight in a long time. Or you know, you can you can run with the metaphor in a thousand different ways. But yeah, what do you think about that, Suze? Yeah, I th I mean I think. Um, I don't think the way that the the American church 
as we know it, it doesn't work anymore. Yeah. And it, it doesn't look like the church of the first century. Um, and not that it needs to look exactly like the church of the first century, but I just think we have made it in general, um, not what it was meant to be. Hmm. You know, they talk about, um, you know, in the report, they talk about all of this stuff being a distraction from evangelism and from the gospel. Well, <laughs> they evangelized something. <laughs> oh, yeah. They've totally. been evangelized. You know, they Absolutely. did evangelize. And and I think the thing that breaks my heart the absolute most is, and even the things that we've been through as a church, I mean, that I've been a part of, you know, I have been a part of the problem. The things that we have been through and in, in, at Journey, the church that I'm a part of now, the church that I was a part of before, when I think about the people who are no longer walking with Jesus and have turned away from his people because of what they represent, because of their experience, because of the pain. I mean, I know somebody who won't go to a church anymore because she can't sit under male leadership anymore because of how horrifically she's been abused by her father mm. and by um, by people in in the churches and ministries she's been a part of and oh my goodness it you know like they it that that is an evangelism to something yep. and and that's what i think need i mean sure i can deconstruct on my own and i think people who deconstruct on their own a lot of times they get to a place of healing and restoration and and reconstruction if you will but the whole the whole system is, it's a systemic problem. But I, I mean, I still believe it's, I believe that the church is plan A. Mm. I really, I still believe it. It's why I, it's why I work at a church still. I can't quit it <laughs> mm -hmm. yet. You know, yeah. I've tried, <laughs> but I can't. And I still believe it's plan A, but I think like everything else in the kingdom, it's never what we think it's supposed to be. Or it, it's never what God does when he moves is never how we think it should be because he's so much better at this than we are. Yeah. That's really good. That's a great place to stop. Because I believe that children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Show them all the beauty Could they be. possess inside. Is it just an imaging thing that we have? I, I totally agree. I think the church, the way that both Jesus, well, everything in the Bible talks about community and people gathering together. Um, it was built to image a very specific thing that Jesus brought forward. And now you can just see ways in which we have imaged a society that is patriarchal and that does is hierarchical and like builds mm -hmm. systems that oppress and keep people down and keep people segregated or keep people whatever. Is that the root issue that we just stopped imaging Jesus quite a while ago and began to image all the institutions around us that do exactly that. And how do you reverse that system? Mm. Like how do you pull a full stop and say, we're going to reposture everything to face back where it was supposed to face and let that be what we image back to culture rather than the other way around. Yeah. Well, isn't that the, isn't that the story since the beginning? Of yeah. Every generation. We just never learn. Yeah. I, I mean, it's just like we keep 
we keep having to return and return and return and return. And you, I had a, a pastor friend of mine many years ago when the, um, do you remember the, the um, well, there were uh, the Lakeland revivals hmm. in Fl- Florida. Oh, yes. And, yeah, way and back. It got, yeah. And it got like, it was like everybody was talking about it and people were going down there and then it got out of hand. And the guy who was leading the whole thing, I don't remember his name, but Todd. he got accused, Todd Bentley, he got accused of all kinds of, things. And uh, I had a pastor say to me that um, I was asking him what his thoughts were on the whole thing. And he said, with every move of God, there's there comes a move of the flesh. Mm. And I, I just find that to be true. And it's so historically true throughout every generation, because I can name some really great things that I experienced with the SBC. And, you know, like there's a lot of you know, but if we if we just stay there and choose to ignore the move of the flesh that comes because we're humans and we're flawed, that's the brokenness of the world that we keep referring to. It's fine to name it and say, well, it's we live in a broken world. But if you don't do anything about it, if you just name it and stay there and you're not willing to, and myself included, I'm part of this. <laughs> If you're not willing to confess and repent and be part of the change and part of the returning back to the image of God in the way that it was meant to be, then then it continues to perpetuate. But it's yeah. it's been, you know, Caitlin named those prophets and and what was happening in their time. It's not different than what's happening in our time, but there's this call to return. There's always a call to return to Christ. That's what repentance is. And we're people, we're supposed to be people of, of repentance. Mm-hmm. That's good. Any final thoughts, you two? Yeah. Just feels awful and heavy. Susie, thanks for joining us. Yeah, I think I do have a final thought. Yes, please. Um, because I'm sure that with um the commu- within the community of people listening there there are people who have been abused and victimized and violated and all kinds of things and um i would encourage anybody who's in that place to if you haven't already asked for help been able to process it somewhere safe with a therapist a spiritual director a trusted friend um because you think you won't be believed or you were not believed when you tried i would say that um to whoever that is you are worth the healing and the world needs you to be um healed (laughs) so that you can bring healing to others and you know i think a lot of people live in a quiet prison of their own experience and their own shame that's been put on them by other people and it's not the way it's meant to be that's good um one of the things that we did a couple episodes several episodes ago is as tim introduced us to a practice he does called the prayers of the people and um and so today we want to close again our episode uh, by doing that, um, so we we offer prayers, and then um, 
Tim will sing, and, and what's the refrain that you sing, my friend? Yeah, so I'll sing the, you hear us calling, you hear us calling, Abba, Father, and then in between each prayer, we'll, we'll sing, Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy. And again, um, I believe this was written by a band called The Brilliance. So if they're listening, or I think somebody, one of our listeners says they know them. Um, and I just, I just want to say this, that I don't know what I personally believe about, you know, the sur- the supernatural aspect of prayer, of God intervening. Um, we've had plenty of conversations on here about the implications of answered versus unanswered prayers. And, um, but what I do know um, is that when you pray without ceasing, it postures your heart and mind to be looking at and thinking about the kingdom of God that is here and now, and it can rewire you to be observant and active in caring uh, for one another. And, uh, and it can enable you to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor. It can cause you to see the inequities and injustices and marginalization of your sisters and brothers. Um, it can give you eyes to see and ears to hear. And it can help you to see the world as Jesus does. And um, that is something. It is something to act upon um, and something kind of beautiful about what prayer can do actively that I at least know that. Right. And so there are three sections of prayers that we're going to do. Um, uh, one of those sections is Susie going to read the names of the the victims of the massacre in Texas. So, um, so Tim, why don't you start us? And then, um, and, and I don't know if you're going to sing, Susie. I'm, I'm not. Uh, I'd love if we had listeners at the end of this episode. And so it'll just be Tim singing for me, but feel free to join in. hear us calling, you hear us calling, Abba Father. You hear us calling, you hear us calling, Abba Father. Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy Lord have mercy Christ have mercy Lord we pray for the people and the children who have been subjugated and abused by institutions and those who are in power specifically within your church Lord, we pray that you would bring healing and peace and freedom to those who've been hurt and who have been hiding or have been made to feel shameful by their abusers. Father, we pray that there would be justice and a complete dismantling of the church that hides and protects those that prey on others, that marginalize and exerts power over others. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ have mercy Lord have mercy Christ have mercy Lord have mercy 
mercy Christ have mercy Father God, we pray for the families of Uzziah Garcia, Jose Flores, Amory Joe Garza, Xavier Javier Lopez, Nevea Bravo, Alethea Ramirez, Tess Marie Mata, Alexandria Anaya Rubio, Layla Salazar, McKenna Lee Elrod, Jace Luavanos, Jayla Nicole Silguero, Eliana Ellie Garcia, Eliahana Cruz Torres, Annabelle Guadalupe Rodriguez, Jacqueline Jackie Cesares, Maite Juliana Rodriguez, Rogelio Torres, Miranda Mathis, Eva Morales, and Irma Garcia. Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. God, we pray that you would hear the cries of those families who have lost loved ones. We pray that you would bring mercy to them, that you would sit with them, that others would walk in grief with them. Lord, we pray that American hearts would be empathetic and would bring about the change necessary to keep our children safe, to keep our neighbors safe, to keep our elderly safe. God, show us how to be peacemakers and not just peacekeepers. Um, God, um, Basically, first, first, sorry, says I'm the best is here. And you can pray on the Fox Odyssey podcast. This is an email. Amen. Thank you, Seppi. You hear us calling, you hear us calling, Abba Father. You hear us calling, you hear us calling. Abba Father Lord have mercy Christ have mercy Lord have mercy Christ have mercy Thank you Timothy Amen, friends. Till next time. Perverse.